All right, so we're going to talk about Easter, and as others sometimes refer to as well, Resurrection Sunday. As I explained earlier, I'm fine with the title Resurrection Sunday, but also grew up with the word Easter as well. And I don't think we should kick that to the curve because people might associate it with the Easter Bunny. Well, they choose to do that. I choose to associate it with Jesus. So, amen. So anyway, I'm going to read from a text scripture, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them, with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up to, into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen to Jesus. Amen. Thank God. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, for your word. We ask you, Father, to speak life into us, Father, even as we are celebrating, commemorating, going from Good Friday into Easter or Resurrection Sunday. We praise and thank you, Father, that it was not just a literal resurrection, but there is also a spiritual resurrection that was performed during this process. We just praise you right now, Father, that as we would uh, study what had happened in this historical event. We would make these things practical and personal to us to abide by on a daily basis. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, it says here, as we saw in the text scripture, that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And that one of the things we have to realize is that this is not just a historical event that was written without proof. 
But Jesus made sure that not only was he resurrected from the dead, but he actually went around before he ascended to the right hand of God and showed himself to people. In one situation, it's almost like he was testing to see what their faith was. It says that he appeared to them in another form. So just think about that. Jesus is here. He's already done the supernatural thing of being raised from the dead. There's already been the supernatural thing of an earthquake shaking the tomb so that this big stone rolled away. And now Jesus Christ has gone from a supernatural resurrection to now saying, I'm going to interact with people before I rise up and ascend to the right hand of my father so that there's literal physical evidence. Eyes laid on me seeing that the guy we saw on that cross is here and he's alive and well. But before he got to that point, he actually was testing their faith. So he translated himself into another form. Just think about that. He knew that they would know his appearance, but yet he transformed himself. He didn't do like we would do in this day and age and put on a, a mask or a beard or something like that. But he literally, through his power, transformed himself supernaturally so that as he walked down the street and engaged these two men, they saw a different individual. Amen? Demonstration of supernatural power. I didn't just rise up from the grave as a zombie with no personality, but I rose up from the grave, and now I'm interacting with people, going down the road with them. And we can see the personality of Jesus testing to see, like, why are you guys so sad? Why are your countenance so low? What's going on here? And he's engaging them. They're talking back and forth. So we see a resurrected very personal Jesus, not some walking dead or evil dead or one of these zombie movies that people come up out of the ground with no personality. But we see a personal Jesus that is interacting with people. Amen. And then we see the personal side of Jesus again. He sent Mary's, he sent the Marys to go say, hey, Jesus rose. And the disciples didn't believe it. So when he finally appeared to them, we see the personal side of Jesus again. It says that he upbraided them. In other words, he told them about themselves. Didn't I tell you, if you kill this body and bury it, I'm going to raise up three days as Jonah did from the belly of the well? Didn't I tell you that? So he, he got on them. He stepped on their toes. Why do you lack faith? You were at my side. You saw the miracles. You saw the casting out of demons. You saw me walking across water. You saw me calming the sea at my word. You saw me speaking Lazarus out of the tomb. You saw me speaking a word only to the centurion's daughter, and she was hit long distance by my power. And just because you didn't see me yet, you didn't believe me at my word that I am a resurrected Savior. So he got on him. I wouldn't want to have been in there that day. <laughs> But we see the personality of the resurrected Jesus. So in other words, he came up from the dead, and on one side of the coin, he was not some zombie that came back to life without any personality. But we also see that he still has some of the same personality traits that he had before he died on the cross. Because there was times where he would get with people, brood of vipers, hypocrites, mother coming to, what's it to you? Is this my time? Why are you bothering me with this? <laughs> Peter, oh, this will never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so we still see he has the same kind of personality that he had before he, came, before he died when he resurrected. He still had the same personality traits. And see, that's a good thing for us to know, amen, because we are redeemed, resurrected people in Jesus Christ. So we ain't got it. We're going to change our personalities where things are bad. We need to alter that. But on the things that are good that make us who we are, even after the resurrection and, and acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we should still be 
who we are. In other words, we don't have to put on any fake masks. We don't have to pretend to be super spiritual and I'm so heavenly anointed and good that I don't know how to relate to people anymore. Jesus was relating to people. (laughs) And one thing that really caught me, you really want to have your mind blown. There's a passage I'm about to show you where we see a mix of the supernatural and the humanity of Jesus at the same moment. Luke chapter 24, 39 through 43. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see me, for spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. Jesus got his grub on after he died, after he came up from the grave. So it just blows the mind when you think about it. Here's a guy that walked down the street with some people, like, like a chameleon, transformed his appearance into something else so that as he walked down the street, now if they'd seen hand, holes in his hands and feet, they would say, they ain't, whoa, they, first of all, they probably ran for their lives. But when he transformed himself to look like another person, he must have sealed the holes so that as he talked to them, engaged them, maybe shook the hand or did whatever he did, they walk in the street with him and they're seeing normal feet, normal hands. Everything looks normal. But then when he goes in to see his disciples, he actually tells them, now looking as his normal human self before, they see Jesus, they see his face, they know like, this is the guy, so we know that coming out of the tomb, after dealing with the scourging and everything that beat him to the point where it looked like he wasn't even human, now he still had the scars and the wounds in his hands and his feet so that they could see the holes, but his face was back to normal. So they could recognize, whoa, that's Jesus, the one we serve with. So they see the supernatural in him being turned back to normal, except for the holes in his hand and feet. So he comes into the room. Just imagine. They're sitting there. Oh, oh Jesus. Oh, Jesus. He comes in the room. Got the holes in hand, and hands and feet. And he said, hey, before you think I'm a ghost, come here. Come touch me. Throw your arms around me. Shake hands with me. Put your... Kind of... Yeah. But if you want to, as he told you know, Thomas, stick your, your finger through the hole... In my hand and my feet. So he walks in the room, and if you, now, if I got a hole in my hand or my feet, I would think blood would be gushing all over the place. But he had already shed all his blood. So when he came in that room, he still had the wounds of the piercing, but yet he wasn't a bloody mess. Amen? He had already given his blood for us. But yet we still see the humanity of Jesus because he's like, hey, you guys got anything to eat? <laughs> so Jesus likes seafood. They gave him a broiled fish and a honeycomb. <laughs> that shows you. He's like, hey, I'm going to eat from the good f- food group, some nice fresh fish, broiled and tasty. But then he's like, hmm, I got a sweet tooth too. Give me one of those honeycombs. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but it's just marvelous, the humanity of Jesus, like I said, combined with the supernatural aspects of Jesus. As we go on further in his story, 
like I said, we see the supernatural, we see the natural, we see him eating, we see him criticizing them for the lack of faith, but then we see him also um, dispatching to them their orders. This is what I want you to do. And then it says he actually, he did ascend as he also promised. And then we see in the word it is recorded for our evidence. We don't have to question, we don't have to wonder where Jesus is. It says he actually ascended and sat at the right hand of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jesus did everything that he said he was going to do. And one of the questions before we really go into what the resurrection means to us is we have to ask ourselves, do we truly believe everything and exactly as he states it, states it, what Jesus tells us? Do we believe him at his word? We look at this story here. He told them, he explained to them, he gave them uh, anecdotes, he gave them parables. He, he gave them all these different examples to demonstrate that he was a resurrection in the life, that he was the Christ, that he was on, the only begotten son of, the God, of God, and he was going to return, amen, after he gave himself as a ransom for us. But yet, in their hearts, and in their emotions, they didn't believe it. So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe Jesus at his word? He's still speaking in this day and age. He's still talking to us about the things that are before us. He's talking to us about the things we need to change. He's speaking to us about our makeup and why we're wired the way we are and what we're called to do. But do we believe him as he speaks or do we say, okay, I heard you, but okay, now I'll go off and do my own thing. Do we believe him at his word? Isaiah 55 says in verses 6 through 11, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts so basically what I'm saying here and what the Lord showed me is that he doesn't mess around with what he states he doesn't play around in terms of what he, he calls himself to do or plans to do. If Jesus says something, you can bank on it. Amen? That's a check you could cash. He does not fruitlessly throw words out there that he does not mean or intend to do. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And we saw here in this historical account of his resurrection, I told you I'm going to give myself for this world. I told you I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to raise up in three days. Amen. I told you that I am the, the son of the only, of, of God. I am his only begotten son and I came here to ransom myself. I told you that I'm going to ascend. Amen. And I'm going to rise to the right hand of God. I told you all these things. I told you that I am my father of one, but yet I got to come here after the resurrection and tell the tale again. Why didn't you get it? So what are we doing with the stuff that he's t telling us? Like I said, whether it's a word from the word of God written in scripture or whether it's a word that God speaks into your heart, your mind, your emotions, whether it's something that God showed you in his dreams, God's got better things to do than to put out idle words and promise you stuff that does not come to pass. Matter of fact, he is incapable of his word not coming to pass because if his word fails to come to pass, that means that he was defeated. And if he's defeated, he's not God. And he's not God, then Jesus is not the sovereign Savior. And if Jesus is not the sovereign Savior and Redeemer of mankind, we are all destined for hellfire if he fails. Thank God he didn't. Amen. We fail all the time, 
but he never does. So we see here, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Don't think you are equal with God. No matter how much you study the word of God from cover to cover, we do well, but we are never Jesus. Amen. We are never at the place where we could say, I got him figured out. I got his plan of action figured out. I know how to run my own life because I'm so wise and mature right now. We don't know nothing outside of Jesus. I share with Tony, she was in preparation for this. You know, I was studying the, the Bible for, well, since I was 26. So you're talking about 27 years of studying the word heavily. And God is still unraveling and unfolding and revealing new things to me. I did a sermon one week here. You know, I was, I was going through some notes and principles that I'd done years ago. I still had the notes. I went through them again as, they were, they were, as if they were fresh to me when the Lord led me to do that sermon. And I took what, what, what had been a one-night Bible study, and I believe I did it for five weeks here. And the thing that was remarkable about the wisdom of God and not Brian Fox, one sermon was on the word when. One word. God spoke one word in my spirit. I done read that passage I don't know how many times. And when I was sharing that, that, those, those topics here, one week I was just going through my notes again. Okay, where did I leave off last week? Where am I going with this? All of a sudden, I'm reading that passage of scripture, and it's just like the word wind just leapt off the page, or it got bold and italicized, or it you know, was highlighted. Somehow I was like, when? And all of a sudden, all this information and revelation of God came into me. The timing of God. So the whole sermon that week was on the word when and the timing of God. Now, what if I had the attitude that, oh, I'm equal. I got you figured out, God. Then that would have blocked me because of my arrogance from getting a sermon based upon the word when. Amen. So God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And that's a good thing because our thoughts are filled with a lot of junk. We think we got stuff figured out, and we're not even perceiving stuff right. Sometimes we're not even in the same ballpark in terms of us looking at our lives or the lives of other people, and you ought to do this, and you ought to do that. Well, come here, and let me tell you what I think. Sometimes we're not even in the same ballpark. We can not only ruin ourselves, or ruin, but ruin other people. That's why we need to say, hey, I'm not giving you my mindset, my attitude. I'm going to the Word of God. And based upon the Word of God and your situation and how I prayed, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit to be revealing to me for you. But it ain't about my thoughts. It's about His thoughts. Amen? I don't, in terms of my professionalism and certain things, yeah, there's some areas where I might give out revelation based upon Brian Fox and my life experiences. But whenever possible, I keep Brian Fox out of it, I give you word. Sometimes people hate that about me and Pam. But I try whenever possible, give you word. Now, they ask something specific about computer field. What classes did I study? Okay, well, Brian Fox studied this and studied that and studied this. But I still might put in there, and I've been blessed in my career because the Lord Jesus. Amen? So it ain't about my thoughts. I ain't got nothing figured out. God's got it all figured out. Amen. And even in my career, I've had times where I was stuck with something and I would just step away from it or give up for the night or go take a shower or go eat lunch or go drive somewhere. And all of a sudden, bam, I've been fighting that thing for eight hours and could not get it to work. And all of a sudden, just like the Holy Spirit, like you got a semicolon there that should be a curly brace. (laughs) So Jesus knows programming, too. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. In my code, thousands and thousands of lines of code, sometimes a simple curly brace, a pos- apostrophe, a semicolon, a brace, a comma, ex- a semicolon, in the wrong place can break your code. 
hundreds, you know, I got application now. It's probably hundreds, over 100,000 lines of code. And yet I had times where after praying, the Holy Spirit's like, go to that program, change that from a semicolon to a curly brace. I've been fighting that thing for hours. And it's resolved because the Holy Spirit told me, change this. <laughs> Amen. So my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Amen. And then as high as the, hev- as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God bless you. So you think, we think we got stuff figured out, but the reality is outside of Jesus, we could be smart as we want to be, but we could be totally foolish. And we need to give those things over to him. All right, so as I was studying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're all aware of a historical account. We're all aware that he gave himself, shed his blood for us, and he was resurrected from the grave. But one of the things I was, as I was praying, the Lord started showing me, we need to make this a reality in our everyday lives. I mean, what does the resurrection mean to you? Do you walk around on a daily basis and say, hey, I'm a servant of the resurrected Christ, and I'm also somebody who's associated with the kingdom of heaven. I'm a resurrected being who has given my life over to Jesus Christ and cried out to him for salvation, and now I'm part of that redemption. Amen. And there's been a resurrection of things in my life. Do we have that mindset? Are we still just walking around status quo? I was a bum five years ago. I'm a bum now. I come from a bad background 10 years ago, and I'm still from a bad background. Like, what does the resurrection mean to you on a daily basis? Because if the cross of Jesus Christ is of no effect in your life to change it, why are we going through all this? Amen. Why are we going through all this? There must be, there has to be something that God had planned for each one of us. And I'm just thinking, he even said it, John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. However, I am come that you may have life and have it what? Not just abundantly, but I'm not saying y'all said it wrong. I'm emphasizing. I have come that you may have life, have it more abundantly. And the thing that's crazy about that, the word abundantly means beyond measure. And Jesus didn't say, I, may, I have come that you may have life beyond measure. He said, I've come that you have life more. Are you kidding me? I was already supposed to have life beyond measure. But you put the word more in front of it. So you're saying like a super form of beyond measure, amen, that he wants to do in our lives. Hallelujah. So as I was looking at this, I was like, what are some of the things that we gain from the resurrection of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? I want to make this thing real to my life, amen, on a daily basis. And he took me to the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, 12 through 22, giving thanks unto the Father, which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him 
all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And this is a, a powerful passage of scripture. It's amazing. It starts out with giving thanks to the Father. You really realize the meat, the spiritual meat in that passage, that'll make you give thanks to the Father. You can't help but give thanks to the Father. Because it even starts out, it says, giving thanks unto the Father, which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. That word meet in the underlying Greek means to be qualified. You ought to be happy about that. Qualified. In the club of King Jesus, in the club of eternity, in the, cl- in the club or the fellowship or the membership of the saints on high in, in heaven, God says that you have been, com- been deemed qualified. Amen? And that's something that we should be excited about. Everybody didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks. You know, I'm the product of an alcoholic father. Um, you know, there's times where we struggle in terms of the finances and the lights going off or uh, I, I had experiences walking to school with holes in my sneakers in the rain or the snow and my feet getting wet and, and sometimes putting on multiple pairs of socks or literally putting cardboard in my shoes or my sneaks to cover up the holes that go to school. Amen. And it was an age where uh, for a lot of us, you know, the hand-me-downs and more and more hand-me-downs and sometimes the hand-me-downs weren't of the greatest quality. So those are the kind of things that I experienced. Amen. So for me to go from that to now be somebody that is meat qualified from God's perspective to say you are a member of my kingdom that's incredible amen you are qualified people don't talk about you say you'll never amount to anything you're a nobody you're a piece of this or that you're junk I mean but God himself says you're qualified come on in I accept you into my kingdom it tells us that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and translate it into the kingdom of his dear son. You've been translated. You didn't even realize it. One day, you were literally walking around, whatever your size is, 5'1", 120 pounds, 6'2", 250 pounds, or 210 pounds, or uh, light skin, dark skin, uh, curly hair, straight hair. No matter what you were, you walked around one day, And you literally, by accepting Jesus into your heart, you went from being a person that was of the sin nature. And as Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and his works you do, and his mind you do. By doing this, reciting the sinner's prayer and believing it in your heart, you translated yourself from being a dirtbag and full of sin into somebody that is now a royal citizen in heavenly places. But yet we still go to the mirror every day like, oh, those crow's feet, I just hate them. Oh, I wish I could get rid of that mole and that freckle. I mean, we're worrying about all this petty stuff. And, and just think about that. You are a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God. 
You've been translated. I mean, if you have a hard time picturing it, look at the episode of, of, of Star Trek. When you say, beam me down to the planet. And one minute you stand on Enterprise, and they had this... They had these, like, these beams of light that looks like particles, and all of a sudden, they, they had this noise for it and everything. And then they see the person, they see you reassembling back on the planet below. And how you were dressed and how you looked, you, one minute you're standing on the Enterprise, the next minute you're on the planet below. So imagine yourself, though. One minute you are full of sin, full of filth full of evil desires and lusts and attitudes and problems and pains and all these different things. One minute you were literally in that condition and God says, beam them up to the king of heaven. Amen. You were translated, transported into the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize right now you're in heaven? Oh, you thought you were sitting in Haddonfield. And your body is. And I'm not talking about transcendental meditation or anything weird or space age out there. But the word tells us in the book of Ephesians that we're, even though we're here in this temporal realm in our physical bodies, the word also says that we are seated in heavenly places. So we are here in our physical bodies, but our spirits are also present and connected with the kingdom of God. Otherwise, why would God say you're seated in heavenly places? He could say in the word, if that was the only situation, he should say, after you die, you will be seated in heavenly places. That's not what it says. It says we are seated in heavenly places. So we are here, but yet we are connected there in our spirits. Amen? And see, if you only walk around in your life every day thinking about yourself from your fleshly perspective, oh, my bills, oh, my job, oh, this, oh, the traffic, oh, my bunion, if you only think about all those things on a daily basis, you may fail to see the reality that you're also seated in the presence of God as well. Amen? And I like to tell people, sometimes we need to start looking at stuff from a God's eye view. See, we, we're, we're governed by the five senses. I get pick up this chair. I get touch Kelly. So the only thing I can define my circumstances is by what I can see and touch. Amen? And the world talks about five senses that we have. But as children in the kingdom of God, we are beyond that. Amen? We have our five senses of taste, touch, you know, hearing, you know, feeling, and which one I just missed? Sight. <laughs> we have our five senses, but we also, and I ain't getting into ESP, but we also have another sense of being able to sense things from the kingdom of God as well. So that being the case, you're beyond the limitations of the five senses. We can also go into the spirit realm and say, God, I need you to interact with my circumstances and touch that person's body and give me peace of mind and, and touch this situation and touch that and see the things come through. Amen? Sometimes God will do small things just to give you an example of what he's doing. I remember one day we have a wood-burning stove at home and um, we didn't do it this year because it was a warmer winter. But we would go a lot of times in the winter where we would literally heat our home the whole winter with firewood. So this one night, I'm in there late, and I'm trying to start the fire. And I don't know if the wood is a little wet or it's a harder grade of wood because some woods are, are denser and they're harder to light. So I'm just sitting there trying to light it. And I'm putting in this and that and fire starter and cardboard and paper. And I'm trying everything. And that thing would just not light. And I'm just praying as I'm doing it, trying to be patient. I'm praying. And then after a while, I'm just like, okay, 
it ain't going to light. We just use the house's heat tonight. So anyway, I just gave up, closed the thing up. I said, I'm done. I'm not fighting with you anymore. So I was like, all right, I'm out here, though. I'm going to keep praying. So I just start walking around, and I'm praying. And I'm walking and praying, and, and I'm walking and praying. And all of a sudden, as I get more intense in prayer, I hear this. <laughs> I looked over. That wood-burned stove was engulfed in flames. And I was like, I believe God was really showing me that when you spend time interacting with him and praising him, there's a fire that gets lit in your circumstances. Amen? Hallelujah. We need to stop thinking of ourselves as the natural and start thinking of ourselves as the supernatural. Amen? Hallelujah. That doesn't mean we're better than anybody, but we are armed, amen, with the power of God. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does in our lives. Amen? Earthquake shook the ground to move away the tomb. Even before that, when he gave up the ghost, there was an earthquake. There's power associated with, with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that is now afforded to each one of us. So we need to believe God that he's going to do something in our lives. It goes forward. It says, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins. We're all aware of that. I'm not de-emphasizing that, but we're all aware of that. Amen? Then it goes further. It says, verse 15, who is the image... Uh, 15. One more. There. It says, who is the image of the invisible God? God is invisible. There's a couple reasons Jesus came to earth. One, to redeem mankind from sin. A second purpose, which is no less important, is that people couldn't see God. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, if you remember, Moses went up to meet with God. And after he had the experience and came back down, he's like, come over to the mountain. They're like, uh-uh. We ain't going there. They got thunderings and lightnings and rocks shaking. We're not going there. Moses, you got that. And then even when Moses would come down sometimes, his face would glow so much, they were like, we got to throw a veil over your head. We can't take the brightness of his glory. So the experience with God was a distant, aloof one that was pretty much associated with fear. Amen. So in order for mankind to, to understand the grace of God and the personality of God and a loving God that can interact with you, Jesus not only came to redeem mankind from sin, but he came to bring, bring a human representation of a loving God that walks among you. You're going through hardship, brother. You're sick. Be healed. So Jesus presented the image. They couldn't see God, and even the image they saw of God was a hard one, but Jesus brought to them the representation, the image of a loving God that interacts with you, that cares about you, that weeps for you. Amen? That was the personal representation. No less God, but a personal being that they could see. And here's the thing that's great for us regarding resurrection, though, that y'all ought to be happy about. It says he's the image of the invisible God. So we couldn't really appreciate or understand God we couldn't see ourselves as being like God but now Jesus presents himself as the image of God in a package that we can relate to but it says not only is he the image of the individual individual God invisible God he is the firstborn of what every creature so he's not only the image of God but it said uh-uh I ain't the only one Y'all getting on board with this one. I'm the firstborn packaged in the personality of God 
But I'm only the first. There's more to follow. And guess who the more to follow is? You, 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 all of you. Amen? He's the firstborn of every creature. But he wants us to become a part of it. Amen? Hallelujah. The first Adam failed and fell into sin. But it talks about Jesus being the second Adam. Amen? And the thing is, Adam, the first who fell into sin, walked with God in the, in, the, in the cool of the day, communicated with God, but he fell into sin. And as great as the relationship was of God coming to the garden in the cool of the day to speak with Adam, it was an external relationship. He communicated with him, but God wasn't in him. It was external. Jesus Christ says, I'm coming, living a sinless life, redeeming myself for a fallen man, um, elevating us back to glory, amen, all of us. And now I'm making you temples of the Holy Ghost so that not only are you redeemed through my blood, but now I've shown you how you should be and what your attributes should be. And to take it further than Adam, I'm now giving you the capacity that the temple of the Holy Ghost is what you comprised of. So Adam only could talk to God externally. We are temples of the Holy Ghost in a new covenant experience with Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit is now in us. Amen? That's what it talks about. In him, we live and move and have our being. The Holy Spirit is now in us. Hallelujah. So he is the firstborn of every creature. That word image in underlying Greek means the statue, the profile, the representation. So he established the pattern of how we should live as well as what we should strive for. Amen? He is the pattern. My mom was a seamstress growing up. And one of the things that I saw in her, she was really gifted. She actually, she worked for dry cleaners. She did stuff in, per, um, like, personally. People come to her for wedding gowns and stuff like that. And she also worked for this place called Polsky's where they would alter the Phillies uniforms years ago. So she met a lot of the players. And one of the things that I remember about her is that sometimes I would go to her, with her to the store. And she would buy a bunch of material. And a lot of times she would take, somebody would say, I need something a certain way. And they would come to her and they would give her a pattern. You ever so, y'all know about that, the patterns. And what the person would do is they would pour, they would roll out the fabric on a table or something that, lay the pattern on it, take these little pins, stick pins, and pin it down to the thing. And then they would cut around the dot, dotted lines on a pattern and then sew it together to make a suit, a dress, a pair of pants, or whatever. Amen? Jesus is the image, the pattern for all of us. Amen? He's the pattern. Amen? For all of us that we need to follow. But see, one of the things I like about my mom is that sometimes she would take a pattern for somebody and she would look at it and without pinning it down, she would just start cutting and she would mend it all together. How many of us are broken up, shattered, devastated, overwhelmed, defeated, disillusioned, disheartened, put your own adjective in it. How many of us were a broken up mess, but yet Jesus not only cut out the stuff that was bad in our lives and stitched us back together, but then he fills us up with his presence, with his spirit, and with his love, amen, and shows us the pattern of what our lives should be. Because all the things that the devil puts us through, 
or really to defeat the divine purpose that God has for us. Look at the majority of the battles you face in your life. You'll find a, a connection a lot of times with your areas of gifting. Try me. Go back, look at the areas of your life where you've been attacked. You're, you're stupid. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Oh, you're dumb. I'm a very intelligent person. <laughs> I'm not saying this brag. I'm making a point. I was in third grade. I went to kindergarten reading at sixth grade level. When I was third grade, they tried to move me to sixth grade. I was so far ahead, they just couldn't. I just talked all the time. Every report card, straight A's, talks too much. I mean, they test me. I was off the charts, like IQ-wise. So they tried to keep moving me up, moving me up, because I, I was bored. But even though academically speaking, I was proving and demonstrating that one of my greatest gifts is in the area of intelligence, attacks came through my family. They said, you're stupid. You're worthless. The devil used people to destroy me in the very area that God had anointed me in and the one that I'm using right now. So I'm telling you, look at your lives. Look at the areas where you've been tacked at the greatest. And I guarantee you, well, I mean, not, I can't guarantee you, but I, I'll tell you probably like at least 80, 90% of the attacks parallel your areas of your, of your gifting in God. You're a singer. God will, the devil will set up stuff to make you think you should shut your mouth and never sing. If you have poetic and creative gifts, the devil will attack you in your areas of your creativity. If you're an organized person, somebody that is very organized and logical thinking, they'll try to bring in a lot of chaos and confusion to ruin your organization. You know, if you're a visionary, people will try to do stuff or the devil will do stuff to make you think, oh, you're foolish. How could you ever dream that? The devil will attack you in an area. A lot of times the devil knows you better than you know yourself. Because guess what? He's the great, world's greatest psychologist. He's been watching mankind for thousands of years. You think you're too wise for him to figure out? When he sees the certain things that draw your attention, certain things that motivate you, certain things that energize you, and then certain things that hurt you. So the devil does stuff to deviate you from walking in the image that God has for your life. Amen? So there's two aspects of that image. First of all is you stop you need to stop going around thinking of yourself as being an unrighteous, unworthy person based upon your past, your mistakes, your evil this, your evil that. You need to stop looking at yourself according to that mindset. You, start, you need to start looking at yourself according to God, regardless of the stuff I went through, has a plan and a purpose for me. And now he wants me to walk in the fullness of the pattern of Jesus Christ. Moses was a murderer. Did that stop him? From his purpose? He even tried to let it stop him. Well, Lord, I'm a stutterer. Lord, they won't receive me. I'm murder. Lord, this and Lord, that. And the Lord tried to stroke his boo-boo. Well, no, you can do this. I'll give you Aaron, your brother, to speak for you. And Moses kept saying, no, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. I can't go back there. He was scared of the skeletons in his closet. The baggage, the fear, the running from the act of murder and all those things associated with that. The being the sellout. You were a Jew living in the palace all that time with all the perks while we were out here getting whipped on our backs. Why would Moses want to go back to any of that? And God kept trying to stroke the boo-boo. It'll be okay. Do this. Just say yes. And Moses kept trying to say, I won't do what you define me to be. Finally, it said God's anger was kindled against Moses. All of a sudden, he's like, whoa, <laughs> I think I better go. And you see what happened, though. And the thing is, the very thing that was meant to, to destroy him, 
killing the firstborn sons, drowning him in water, turned that thing around. God killed their firstborn and then killed their army. How? The same body, you know, body of water. Amen. That's the thing. You walk in the plan and purpose of God. You allow yourself to align with the images, the image of Christ as opposed to your own expectations. And then you allow God to attach himself to your personal traits that the enemy has tried to silence and you start walking in them. God will take you back to the very places, maybe not literally, but spiritually, emotionally, that overwhelmed you, that overcame you, that made, they, made you think they're going to snuff your life out. God will turn you around just like Moses and make you a deliverer to the very situations that should have destroyed you. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because he tried to stuff me out in the area of intelligence. He also tried to attack me in the area of, of breeding. That's been a, a thing that goes back in my childhood. Enemy trying to literally choke me out. I can tell you stuff, you'd be like, what? You might think I'm, I'm telling like eight-year-old boy in my bed, wake up like a noose around my neck. Crazy stuff. And everybody in my house like, never came near you. I'm talking about raining, and I walk over a field, and I sink down to my waist and I'm fighting for my life to grab the curb nearby to pull myself out. And then I take my parents back there. What are you doing? Come home all muddy. And I take them back to the very same spot. I'm a little boy. My dad walks over the same thing that had been quicksand to me only 10 minutes earlier. You think the devil don't want to take you out and keep you from your divine purpose? And that's just a couple. The enemy wants to snuff you out. But God wants you to be one that follows the firstborn. He's the firstborn, but he's looking for an army of believers that are going to follow in his likeness. And then, as I told you earlier, he's a personal God. He not only wants to resurrect you into the newness of what you could be if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, but he also wants you to use the traits he's placed within you to touch other lives for the kingdom of, of God. Amen? Hallelujah. It says here also that, and I like this, and by, all, by him, actually, let me go back a little bit. He is before, no, 16. Oops, thanks, God. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and visible, whether it be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Do y'all really study that word? That word is, is really important. First of all, it says, by him, all things were created. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were together when everything was created. So this is true when it says, by him, all things were created. And we see here, we're all afraid of the devil and what the devil's going to do to us. It says here, he's created all things in heaven and earth. He created the devil. He sold out and betrayed him, but the fact is, he did create him. And if he created him, would, would you be, this is not Frankenstein's movie, where the creator creates a being that takes his life. No, no, no. Jesus created all things, and everything is subject to his power, even every adversary in the kingdom of darkness. Period. He's above all things. Then it says, he's above, he's, by him are all things created in heaven and earth, um, it talks about things visible and invisible. Jesus created all things that are, are visible or invisible. That means the, the, the universe as we see it, things here on earth, things there in the cosmos with the stars and, and everything. They even talk about, they think now that 
The majority of the universe is made up of dark matter. He created that too. You can't see it, but he made it. Amen? So visible and visible also means not only the visible, tangible things of this material world that we could touch and see, but also he created all the invisible things, the spirit beings, the things and the forces of nature that we can't see, the laws of physics, gases and different things that we cannot see. He's created all those things. So if he created all those things, guess what? He's in charge of all those things. You got a lung problem? He created the air that you breathe. Tell him to fix it. You know, you got a heart problem? He created the human body. Tell him to fix it. You know, we need to trust him to be ruler over all things. And I like the fact that it says that he's before all things and by him all things consist. That word consist means to exist or to set together. To consist or to set together. First of all, to exist, everything that exists is under his jurisdiction. But then the word consists also talks about being set together. <laughs> Even as I was actually going to share it last um, Good Friday and, and Pastor Forte went into that song. The fact that you are able to stay together, your bodies, your molecules, your veins, every aspect of your body. The fact that this universe just does not, does not explode is because the power of Jesus holding all things together. Amen. Everything literally not only exists but consists in its current state because of the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's the case. If he has all that power, why are we afraid of anything? He has the power to refashion it. He turned water to wine. Why? Because in him all things consist and exist. If I want to change the form of it, water be wine. (laughs) We saw he did it um, during our text scripture. He transformed himself, it said, to look like another person so he could walk with the people down the street. It said he transformed himself in another form. I didn't make that up. The word says it. Amen? So he has the power and authority over all things. And that being the case, all we have to do is yield to him, let him lead us, instead of trying to work things out on our own merits and strength. Amen? Allow him to do it. So the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was purchased. Amen? A lot of times things were purchased with exchanges of land, precious gems, but our redemption was purchased through the shed blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A lot of times people also think about different alternatives when they're making a purchase. Well, maybe I should buy this instead of that. I'll consider multiple things before I do this. Uh, Or I'll try to negotiate. When I set my mind on I want this, I'll try to negotiate to get a better price for myself. Thank God. Jesus Christ saw what he needed to do for us. There was no negotiation, no bartering. He said, the cost is I got to give my life and shed my blood. I accept it freely. Amen. Hallelujah. Because of his great love for us. Now, um, the Lord showed me seven things from this passage of scripture. Um, let me see if I covered them all because I was kind of. One thing was translation. He translated us. Through the resurrection experience and us accepting him as his Lord and Savior. One minute, as I said, your spirit was joined with the kingdom of darkness as a child of your father, the devil. But after you accepted Jesus, you were instantaneously transported into citizenship in the kingdom of God. Like I said, we were often focused on the material world. So we fail to perceive that our spirits are currently in communion and interconnected with the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. 
Scientists are even starting to look at this now with string theory and parallel universes stuff that you could be in one place but actually be in another place. They're just getting a revelation of what God always knew and divine. Amen. Hallelujah. So we are, that's why people have experience sometimes. They say, ah, I thought I saw an angel. Because we're all, it could be 10 in this room right now. We're in parallel dimensions. Amen. Hallelujah. I think we just think of heaven being up, but heaven surrounds us. Amen. Every, God surrounds everything. That's why he's omnipresent. Amen. Because he's everywhere. So where he is, the word of God tells us that where God is and he's everywhere, it says that the angels are there. It says that the elders are bowing down. But if God is everywhere, God's here. I'm not telling you anything falsely. If he's here, then why are we running here and there trying to get God to resolve our situations? Just like, hey, Father, Abba, da- Father, Daddy, can you touch this situation? I know you're here. Can you do something with this? We are translated in the kingdom of God. Like I said, he is the presentable image of God, the firstborn creature, but he is not the only creature. He established himself as our pattern of what we are called to be at the redemption. He's also the model on how we should live our lives to be fruitful. Uh, like I said, since he created all things, even Satan and the fallen angels that defied him are subject to his power and authority. He's never been surprised or defeated by the forces of darkness. When he created everything, he knew what the capabilities were, but he chose to give us free will. Amen. He did not make us robots. But just because the devil decided to turn on him and he took angels with him, and just because some of us choose to fight him, doesn't mean that he's surprised. He's aware of all things, but yet, for mankind, he still makes redemption available for us at any time. Hallelujah. Here's what I like. All fullness dwells in Jesus. All fullness. So that just tells us, if we are incomplete in any area, we need to seek him to fill, supplement, replenish, or complete any voids or unfulfilled areas in our lives instead of seeking other measures to fill complete. It tells us in that passage, it says, in Jesus, uh, all fullness dwells. It was in here somewhere. Well, I went past it. <laughs> some reason my eyes aren't catching it. I know it says fullness in there somewhere. Um, oh, I think I just saw it. I'll forget. I know it's in the passage. But it says within him, all fullness dwells. Amen. Ah, it was in verse 19. <laughs> That's a shame. My eyes can't, on a big, big slide, my eyes couldn't catch it. But it says in him, all Fullness dwells. That word fullness, like I said, it talks about an infilling. It talks about being supplemented, replenished, or completed. The reason that the word um, filled is good is because if you feel empty, Jesus can fill the void. Then it talks about supplementing. Maybe you're not empty, but you just don't have enough to get you over the hump. Or enable you to overcome this problem. Jesus can supplement anything you need to handle your life circumstances. It talks about replenishing. Sometimes you had something, but you ran out of it. So guess what? He is your heavenly gas station. Go fill her up. Amen. 
He can replenish the things that you lost and didn't complete. Like I said, sometimes you feel incomplete. You feel that there's voids or unfulfilled areas in your lives. Um, we can continue to seek all these other avenues to fill us or make us complete and whole. But Jesus Christ is the only one. Since in him, all fullness dwells. Notice that. In him, all fullness dwells. It doesn't say that your best friend, your girlfriend or boyfriend, your spouse, the alcohol bottle, the prescription drugs or the illegal drugs. It doesn't say that any of those things have fullness in them. So you could try to go to those things to get whole or get complete. But the reality is they might make you feel better for a while, but they're only band-aids. As soon as they wear off or there's a breach in the relationship, you're back to emptiness. So if you want to be full and feel complete, you need to go to the person in whom all fullness dwells, which is Jesus Christ. And he will fill all those things and keep you full. Um, it says through, in that passage, through the blood of Jesus, he has reconciled all things unto himself, whether they are in earth or in heaven. So even in terms of relationships, personal problems, emotional or physical things that don't seem to be changing, if you're looking for them to be reconciled, once again, you could run to all those different things. You could try this 12-step program, read this author's book. I'll try this versus that. If you want to reconcile something, the key to reconciliation is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? All roads go back to the, to the cross in terms of the life of the believer. So sometimes things may not seem to be changing because we're trying to do it on our own merits. And if really, if you think about it, if Jesus allowed us to just go out and try to fix everything on our own accord, our own strength, our own manipulations, our own wisdom, why would we go back to Jesus? He wants us to be fulfilled in him. He wants relationship with us as well. So the only way we can guarantee that these things are going to be addressed, and he does want to address them, is if we come and present these things to Jesus Christ, who is the, not only the author and finisher of our faith, but he's also the author of of reconciliation through his blood. Then finally, it talks about through his sacrifice, he wants to present you holy, unblemished, and irreproachable before God. And I looked at that word present in the underlying Greek, and it means to stand beside, to exhibit, to recommend, to substantiate, or to be at hand to aid or assist. Uh, once again, it means to stand beside, to exhibit, to recommend, to substantiate, or to be at hand to aid or assist. Just think about that. The devil might accurately accuse you of doing something and demand, God, you have to judge them for their circumstances. But it says here that Jesus stands before us. He's not just saying, oh, look at my servant. It says that Jesus says, I present you faultless. I, I present you unblameable. I present you unblemished and irreproachable. And we know he's our great advocate, but it doesn't say like he's just sitting there like, oh, well, just see what happens. No, Jesus defends you. Amen. And that word, when it says that he stands beside you, it's basically saying like, I'm on your side. I got your back. I got your front. I got your side. I'm defending you in this case. I'm not going to just sit back and allow you be judged by the adversary or people that are surrounding you. Then it also talks about 
He recommends you. He actually tells the father, hey, look at my servant here. They are worthy of the blessings they're praying for. They are worthy to inherit eternal life through my blood. And then he talks about substantiating. Sometimes things need to be proven. Amen? Jesus is the proof. Even when we're guilty, he's the proof. Because the devil will try to say, they did this, they did that. They need to be eternally judged with damnation. And God said, I have evidence to prove that they are innocent. And the devil said, what? You called him an act. He said, here's the proof. My blood. <laughs> and the devil's going there. Just think about that. Exhibit A and B and all this stuff you see in the courtroom. And... <laughs> The devil tried to come in and say, oh, we got all these different exhibits that will prove without a shadow of doubt, your honor, God the Father, that they are guilty. And they come into court to room, all right, God says, show me all the evidence. And the evidence has all been redacted through the blood of Jesus. Satan tries to bring out exhibit A, soaked in blood. <clears throat> exhibit B, blood. <laughs> Everything he tries to bring out to find you guilty the blood of Jesus is soaking it. Amen. That's why it talks about blotting out the ordinances that were against us. He had all the proof he needed. Maybe y'all innocent. In my life, the devil had more than enough proof to send me on the downhill express. <laughs> Maybe you're better than me, but I know what me. He had enough evidence to substantiate every argument against me. Amen. Some of them I probably would came myself, Your Honor. <laughs> I throw myself on your mercy. <laughs> Oops. Praise the Lord. But thank God that even though I'm, I was guilty in a lot of things, the blood of Jesus has set me free and reconciled me from the penalty. Now, I talked to you earlier about how we view ourselves and how we need to change our thought process. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You ever think of yourself that way? We're so accustomed to people talking down to us and talking negative to us and backstabbing us and demeaning us. And unfortunately, sometimes the worst ones are the ones that should be closest to you, family and friends. You know, it's one thing when somebody out there in the world that's more distant to you will say something about you and stab you in the back. But unfortunately, a lot of times it seems that those that should be the closest are the ones that are the worst. But thank God we see here that no matter what people may do, this is God's definition of who you are. You are a chosen generation. I remember playing um, basketball out in the street. Any of you guys have played pickup games out in the street, you know, you get two guys who will be the captains, and the guys will all line up like, I'll take him. Then the next guy's choice, I'll take him. Then be like, okay, I already got the, my tall guy. I need somebody that can shoot. Okay, I'll grab the point guard, I mean the, the shooting guard. Then he'll go get his, and you go back and forth until you got enough people for the sport. And it was always terrible if you're the last player left, like we only got 10 guys here to play a pickup game five on five. Uh, well, we don't really pick you number 10, but if we don't have 10 players, we can't play. So, all right, you're on my team. <laughs> but God, fortunately, does not do that. 
You are a chosen generation. I wanted to select you. You weren't just somebody that straggled along or I was, a for, I was forced to pull in. No, you are a cho- chosen generation. Then he says you're a royal priesthood. That's, that's pointing in two ways. First of all, you're royalty. You're royalty. Some of us were, like I said, born on the wrong side of tracks, not the best of circumstances economically or in terms of family dynamics, but God says you are royalty. Amen. You are a prince, a princess of the kingdom of God. Amen. You are a joint heir with Jesus. He calls us a priesthood and a holy nation. In the Old Testament, a priest had to go in to present sacrifices before God and to present the petitions of the people. God says you are a kingdom of priests. You bring yourself on in here to pray and intercede with me. Amen. You don't have to depend on anybody else. You personally can come into me as you are and pray in a holy nation. He's calling you pure. You know, a lot of times we define ourselves by the last thing we did wrong. And we beat ourselves up. And I'm not saying that there aren't times where we shouldn't examine ourselves and get things right in our lives. Yes, we should examine ourselves and we have a bad attitude or, you know, whether it's a spiritual thing or sometimes it's a natural thing. Like we're not motivated or we're lazy or we're lackadaisical or apathetic. If there's areas in our life we need to improve, that's fine. We need to improve them. However, we shouldn't be going around thinking of ourselves as nothing all the time because God is saying you are pure and holy before me. And a peculiar people, that word peculiar seems bad, but he's really saying you're a special people that are different than others before me. Amen? And he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So thank God for that. Praise you, Jesus. Looking at the time here. All right, I told you that also we are different. We need to, stick, we need to think of ourselves as differently than we did before. And I told you earlier that Jesus Christ said he's the firstborn of every creature. Here we're going to see the exactly the creature we are. Second Corinthians five, seventeen through twenty one. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All right, so we see here, Jesus was the firstborn creature, firstborn, but there were other creatures to follow. Who were the creatures to follow? Anybody that accepted him and his sacrifice and believes it in their heart and confesses it with their mouth. Romans 10, 9, and 10. They call it TNT. Amen? The TNT verse. So if you are in Christ, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are you in Christ? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, not you, not people, but God says you are a new creature. That word creature means original formation. So you could have been 20 years old when you got saved, 30, 40, 50, whatever year you were saved. God says you are a new creature. You're starting from day one 
with a new slate. That doesn't mean that you don't have responsibilities or different things associated with the previous years of your life. But he's basically saying, as I look at you spiritually, you have a clean slate and you're on a new journey in me. And we see here it says that you have the original formation. That's really going back to Adam. Adam was born without sin. So God's saying, I see you without the sin nature. Amen. You might choose to sin or allow temptation to affect you, but God gave you a clean slate and saw you as a, a new creature. And like I said earlier, the new creature that he made you to be is even greater than Adam because Adam talked to God externally. In Christ, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, so we have a greater new creature experience. Amen? And we see here it says, All things of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And we have the ministry of reconciliation as well as the word of reconciliation. Not only has God reconciled us to himself, that we can come before him as his children, and he has pleasure in us, and he wants us to interact with him. But also, he says, I've now dispatched each one of you and given you a ministry of reconciliation. You can show people, because you're in the image, remember, now as you walk in the image of God, you present the image of Jesus to others, and he's given you the tools and the ministry of reconciliation to pull them into the, or draw them into the kingdom the same way you were drawn in. And I like the fact that it talks about the, not only the ministers of reconciliation, but he's given us the word of reconciliation. Sometimes you don't know exactly what to say to people. Whoops. Sometimes you don't know exactly what to say to people, but God says he's given you the word of reconciliation. In other words, don't try to pre-plan everything you're going to say to try to lead somebody to righteousness. Just be willing, and God will give you the words that you need to speak. I had um, kind of like almost used, uh, probably accurately say, fought to get this guy saved for about two years to the point of almost punching him. Because <laughs> whatever I say, he would say the opposite. I want to talk about heaven. I want to talk about hell today. I want to talk about God and angels. I want to talk about the demons that exist. He would just do stuff to spite me. And then he even, one time, this is where it really got intense. Like, he started talking about how he didn't like Pam. It's like, you only seen her once and she said hi to you. Well, I just don't. I said, how are you going to talk about my wife? I was just like, I'll sit there one moment like, <laughs> I'm, always, I'm trying to get the guy saved. I'm about to punch him down. <laughs> you talking about my wife like that? And the funny thing, though, is um, I kept, I just, Lord, calm me down. I just kept dealing with him, dealing with him. And one night we had um, a Bible study. And as it was ending, he called and he said, um, Brian, he said, um, do you have a few minutes? Are you doing anything? I said, well, we're just closing out Bible study. And he said, oh, I can call back another time. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. What's going on? So he starts um, talking. But as he's talking, it's like the Holy Spirit's giving me stuff. And before he could finish a question, I'm giving him the answer. And at one point, he finally said, man, it's like almost like you're reading my mind. I said, I'm not reading your mind. I said, but the Holy Spirit is. And I said, he's telling me what you need to hear. And I led him to the Lord that night. And he ended up loving Pam. <laughs> but this shows you the devil would try to throw something in the mix. So um, he's given us the ministry and the word of reconciliation. And as I shared before, he also calls us, oops, I hit the wrong way, ambassadors of Christ. Amen? That's going the wrong way. He calls us ambassadors of Christ. And the thing I like about that, I actually met a guy Years ago, crazy life that I live, and uh, I, got, I got invited over to this place, 
and they gave me the address. I didn't know where I was going, but they said, oh, the guy needs some software or something like that. So I go over there, and I pull up front at the address, and it's like an embassy. I was like, whoa, you know, it's a, it, was, it was a literal embassy. So I go in, and, you know, the guy comes in, and as soon as I walk in the door, he says, you realize you're not in the United States anymore. I said, oh, yeah, I, I know. And um, then I go into this room, and there's this huge table, and he tells me to sit down. And I sit down, and he said, uh, you realize that you're in my chair, and nobody sits in my chair? <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, I think I will get up real quick. He said, well, I know you meant no offense. But he's like, you know, somebody does something the wrong way, you know. He's got a gun at his waist. He said, you know, somebody does something the wrong way, disrespectful, I can take care of it. I was like, uh Okay. <laughs> so anyway, he's telling me this, and he said, you realize, and he starts telling me principles, and I knew a lot of them from reading, but he said, yeah, you know, literally, I could go outside, just bam, and, you know, pull out my diplomatic papers and just walk right out of a situation, because I have diplomatic immunity, and that's what we have in Jesus Christ, amen? See, the word God says, or Jesus said, we're in this world, but we're not of this world, Amen? So we're foreigners, we're aliens, and we're people that are, a lot of times the enemy thinks, trespassing in his world system. But thank God that he says we are ambassadors for who? For Christ, for the kingdom of light. And when we do things that violate the principles of this world system, praying for people, showing people love and compassion, interceding for people, as we have come to know by the attacks that come into our lives, the enemy tries to arrest us or stop us in our tracks from doing things that are righteous. But whenever the enemy tries to come in and stop us and make us cease our activities, we just pull out that Bible, the Word of God, and the sword of the Spirit and say, I'm an ambassador of Christ. Your laws do not define or control me. Amen? Hallelujah. He's made us ambassadors. And think I like about ambassadors too? An ambassador could be from a foreign country that is, you know, impoverished. But if you see them at the UN or somewhere, those guys are coming out of limos. They got on the nicest suits or gowns and, or, or garb from their country. They walk around with their heads up high and stuff like that. Be like, you have no army. You have no navy. Your economy is less than the state of New Jersey. But they be walking around like, hmm, like a spot of tea. Like they don't have no military whatsoever. Like, your little <laughs> pin drop of a country, you don't have any power, but yet, you know, they're balling here in the States. They're like, hmm. They're regal. So I'm like, why are we? We're ambassadors for Christ. Why are we walking around all busted up? What's the devil going to do to me today? You're an ambassador for Christ. And we already seen your, what? Chosen generation, royal priesthood, minister of reconciliation, Ambassador for Christ, we got all these things to the resurrection of Jesus. Why are we the world's doormats and punching bags? You know, I'm not telling us to be prideful in an ungodly way, but we need to get a little godly boldness and confidence, put the chest up and walk around proud that we're serving the kingdom of light. Amen? So those are the things that God has given us. Amen? Being associated with the kingdom of light. These are the things that he's given us. Amen? Hallelujah. And we'll be, you know, just taking us away from sin and all the different things, taking away shame, giving us hope to endure trials and tribulations, silencing our fears and accusations against us. Amen. Even when the world treats us poorly, 
knowing that we serve the king of the universe who loves and treasures us. These are all the things that we get through the resurrection and acceptance of that resurrection in Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's praise his name. Let's glorify him. Let's give him a hand clap. He is risen. Amen? And his resurrection means that we are resurrected to something as well. Amen? The resurrection is a resurrection of our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for the resurrection of your Son on the cross, choosing to give his life as a ransom for us, choosing to lay down his life when he didn't have to just because of his divine love for us. And we just pray, pray, praise and thank you, Father, even as you had laid on my heart, we saw today that resurrection is not just a historical act that Jesus Christ committed, but it's something that should be impacting us on a daily basis, resurrecting us from fear, resurrecting us from pain, resurrecting us from shame and brokenness and all the different things, physically, spiritually, and emotionally that we've been bearing. So we just praise you right now, Father, if anybody has been overwhelmed or weighed down by uh, their present circumstances, if they've been weighed down or devastated by some of the acts or some of the things that have been spoken over them over the years, we just praise you right now that through your resurrection, Lord, you will pour out healing upon them right now. And even as we know you're a God of the miraculous, we praise you, Father, to touch them right now, do heart surgery, do emotional and mental surgery, Lord, do a reparative, restorative work in their hearts and their minds, Father. Let all of us start seeing ourselves as royalty, not that we would be pompous or aloof, but let us see that we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom, ambassadors of Christ who are called to serve and to be fruitful, Father. You did not call us to just have every day another miserable day of suffering. But, Lord, you've called each one of us to walk in power and authority, Lord, and according to your purpose. So right now, Father, we speak um, united in faith over all your people today. We speak, Father, peace. We speak healing. We speak productivity. We speak prosperity, Lord. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Father, for restoration of relationships as well, Father, that have been dysfunctional, that have been broken. We ask you right now, Father, to just touch the hearts of all the individuals involved. Mend their hearts, Father. Take away any hurts, any pains. Even take away things that were offenses that people may not have even known that they did. Lord, we just ask you to give everybody a heart to forgive and to give them a heart of reconciliation. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We ask you to give us safe traveling mercies home as we continue to celebrate your incredible sacrifice. We cannot thank you enough, Jesus, for shedding your blood. And we thank you for your victory over death and the grave, as well as sitting at the right hand of the Father. We even thank you, Lord, that your word says you ever liveth to make intercession for us. So right now, you're actually interacting with the Father on our behalf as a great advocate. We just praise you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.